I apologise. It's been two long weeks since I've uploaded this podcast, and I usually upload every Sunday, so I'm sorry for that. But we're back to business as usual. Here is the good news. As I told you, I wanted to invite other CEOs onto this podcast to share their deep, dark diaries and secrets with you. And in those two weeks, I've met with two different CEOs and delved into their diaries. One of them is a 25-year-old CEO of one of the UK's fastest growing companies, tremendous company with a tremendous team. And the other is a CEO of a small agency business here in Manchester who went through an experience that no one in business or life would wish on their worst enemy. And in today's chapter, we delve into his diary. He emailed me and he wanted to come on this podcast to share his experience, which involves backstabbing and betrayal. And through the agency Grapevine and people I knew, I already knew a little bit about his story. And from the little I knew, it was horrific. It involves the majority of his team backstabbing him, serious betrayal, mental health issues, total desperation, and a business that ends up having to fold because of it. There is so much to learn from the story, and it's incredibly interesting. And just when you think things can't get any worse, this young man gets caught up in a terrorist attack in London, which changes the perception of his life and perspective of his life forever. The man in question is called Mark Stringer, and he is the CEO of Ahoy, which is a Manchester-based web and graphic design agency. Mark is an avid listener of this podcast, so he knows the score already. This is not a PR interview, and he agreed to share the full details with total honesty. I also told Mark that if he wasn't raw, honest, and open, I would not share it with the world. Mark agreed, and that's exactly what he did. So without further ado, let's open Mark's diary. This is chapter six. I'm Steve Bartlett, and this is the Diary of a CEO. I hope nobody is listening, but if you are, then please keep this to yourself. Okay, so Mark, thank you for joining me. I really, really appreciate it. You are our first ever guest on this particular podcast and um, I wasn't sure at first if it made sense for the format of this it being a diary and all um, to have a guest on but um, considering your story and considering our previous conversations over the last couple of months I knew that you also shared a lot of the the, the hardships and the, the pains and the challenges and the unpredictable events that I shared as a CEO and we had a conversation I'm not sure if you'll remember but mm. in my office a couple of months ago where we talked about some of the real hard moments yep. that um, only people that run service businesses where there's such unpredictability will mm. really be able to understand mm. and so um, I know you, you'd listen to this podcast and, and, and when you um, got in touch I at first I read the email and I thought no I don't really not really going to do guests but I closed the email and then reopened it, and, I, and because I remembered our conversations, yeah. And then I'm, I, I went over to the, to my team and said, "Listen, I, I think this would be a, a great first guest on the podcast." So, um, thank you for coming on. I appreciate it. I can't thank you enough. Um, yeah, I've been binge listening to the podcasts, and it was just the honesty and the intimacy of what you were doing, and yeah. it, it was interesting to see just somebody um, so successful being so honest about about what was actually going on so yeah I'd, I'd been binge listening and then when you mentioned that you'd wanted to have someone on and um you know they couldn't come on mm-hmm. I thought right well 
I'm happy to be honest. I, I can I can sort of take your lead and I can, I can do that. So yeah, and, and as I say, these these two major things happened to me this year, um, which which are now part of my story. So I thought it'd be a really good chance to to come and share it. Mm. Amazing. So the thing with this podcast, as you'll know, because we had a little bit of a chat before, is it's all about that honesty and it's not about PR or um, all the other interviews you've probably ever done in your life where, where there was an emo- uh, sort of a, an agenda there, right? Yeah. And same for me. It's yeah. winning business, it's talking about business or selling ourselves and this is the, has always acted as the opposite of that. This is yeah. the antithesis of brand building. This is honesty and yeah. um, if this interview doesn't get to that place then it will yeah. almost never be heard because yeah. it won't fit the format of what this yeah. is so it's, it's not the, worth it yeah, yeah this is, that's the single most important thing today yeah. but just um, to add we're not under your <laughs> we're not under, in your uh, cupboard are we at your house no. on this one yeah so this is the first time i've not shot it at home um, after 2am uh, yeah. in my little washing cupboard under the stairs um i'm at the office in one of our in one of our studios that's being renovated um it is although quite like the idea of just me and you sat in our pyjamas just scratching our can you imagine? Talk, talk, <laughs> putting the world to rights about how tough it is running a business that, that would have been that would have been good been interesting but also um, very suspicious true um, very it's, true it's 10pm it's Wednesday I believe um, and without further ado I'll get into it so I guess the first what I said to you is you know there's three types of listener that I've uncovered by doing this podcast there's somebody who's potentially thinking about getting into business at some point mm-hmm. maybe maybe they, they have no interest but they currently don't run a business the second person is somebody that's just starting out and that's encountering those initial hurdles and obstacles and trying to gain some sort of inspiration or motivation about how you maybe get through that and get to the point which is where the third group of people are at where they're running a business mm-hmm. um uh, they've got teams uh, and they're encountering the those kinds of challenges. So where I wanted to start is before. So what was your story before you started your business? What were you doing? Have you always been an entrepreneur? Yeah, I think, I, I suppose I, I got into my business because uh, of a talent. So I was, I was really good at drawing mm-hmm. um, and um, I'd been given this idea at school uh, mm-hmm. at, Putting for my art GCSE year early because it was because it was good, and then they were sort of deciding what they was going to do with me in the final year, yeah. uh, and they said, "What about graphic design?" And I was like, "What's that? I don't you know. I don't know what that is." Um, and I started to learn what it was, and I just fell totally in, in love with it. Mm-hmm. Um, so straight after school, did a an ND uh, HND degree, and then. Um, yeah, I went to work for, for a few different agencies, and I started to, to pick up how they were run, um, started to learn how to manage people, that type of thing. Went and run another agency, which I set up uh, with another another chap uh, called Dan, Dan Clark, lovely guy. Um, but it, it, after a few years, we could start to see that I was becoming really ambitious and he just wanted to, to, to work a certain way mm-hmm. um, and he went away on holiday and when he came back he said look you know it's, I, I really want to push on I want to advertise I want to take on staff mm-hmm. you know I want to work long hours mm-hmm. and there was just a real mismatch there so we, we had a chat and um, yeah I just I left him with that business all the SEO we'd done everything and put into the business I left him with that right. came away he carried on running that and then I went working from home Right. And I was just working downstairs uh, from my cellar and uh, just started to slowly build up clients. I had clients knocking on the door, 
you know, coming coming round, um, trying to straighten up the house and things like that, and um, yeah, just started to started to, to build it from there. And so, at what point did your business transition from being a business in your basement to um, taking on staff and having an office and those kinds of things? I think the the, the big move was uh, moving into office space. So we, we moved into a place in uh, Heaton Chapel in Stockport, and we I'd moved in with another developer, um, chap called Kieran, and we started to become really busy. Mm-hmm. Uh, he'd already been doing bits of development work for me. I was doing all the design, and it just motored on. We took on a designer. We took on another developer. We got to a point where I was thinking, shit, I'm doing a lot of uh, project management here. I don't want to be doing that. So we took on a project manager. And we, we just slowly built the team from there. And whenever there was a need, we took it on. And as we got busier, we just, just grew it. Uh, and I always, I always had it at the back of my mind that I, that I wanted to have an agency that I could be proud of. You know, the agencies that I read about in the magazines. Um, and I had that image in my head that I wanted to develop something that was not only um, not only something that was money making, but something that I could be proud of. It had some kind of kudos, and it was trying to go for a certain aesthetic with what we were doing with the design, that mm-hmm. type of thing. Um, so I always had that in, in my mind, and it just it just grew and grew um, from there. And and so, you're, how did you go? What's the feeling of going from, obviously I have my own answer on this, but mm. what was the difference between being that, a freelancer in your basement and employing people? Cause I, th- I, think, I think the big one for us was when we, we went from um, a quarter of a million turnover to half a million turnover. Mm-hmm. And that was, a, that was a big one. I remember sitting down with the accountants and they were saying, you know, you, you know what you've done is pretty impressive. Um. And at that point, you start to think there's something of value here. This is not just me trying to develop something that's feeding the need in me to have a certain agency. There's all of a sudden a a commercial drive that this has value now. I can build something that will have worth um, further down the line. And you start to think then about longer-term goals, mm-hmm. not just the next project. You start to think about the type of people you bring into the business. Are they going to be good for the next, you know, four or five years? Mm-hmm. You start to think in terms of longer-term goals. And that was the real that was the real switch moment for me. Mm-hmm. Um, you, have the, the, you have the whole thing, and I'm sure you've been through this in terms of like you have a client win. And all yeah. of a sudden, it's a bigger accolade, mm-hmm. and then you have that other one, and it spins on from that, and all of a sudden, you think, "This is it. It's it's we're off. Yeah, we're yeah. off the ground." Yeah, yeah. You have those few bumps of the play, and all of a sudden, you're like, "Right, we're we're you know we're on it." And then, then all the little things crop up, little problems. Talk to me about those problems. And also, at this point, were you um? Did you have a wife and kids? Or yeah. So you, did you start when you had a wife and kids? Yeah, well, it was interesting. I was wondering if you was going to mention this because obviously you've, you've been speaking in your podcast about relationships, which, which was quite touching, really. I, th- I thought that was, that was overly honest of you. I thought, I thought it was really interesting. And, and you saying about you was unsure whether um, uh, um, you, you wanted to be in a relationship or not and yeah. how you felt after it. And um, I've been in a relationship since I was 16. So I, I, met, oh, really? I met, my, wow. met my wife, Katie, when she was 15. We met at school. And um, 
having that type of relationship from a young age is quite quite tough. Um, when we have broke off, usually because I think we, we broke off once when I was about 23, 24. Right. I had that kind of court life crisis. Sure, yeah, yeah. Kind of when I was thinking, you know, you know, I've been with this same person for that amount of time. You know, like, the grass is greener, maybe. Over there. Yeah, or, or just not not knowing that I'm going to experience ever being single or meeting other people. Or uh, so we had a bit of a break, got back together, um, and then uh, yeah. So I'd had my first child at 25, right, Mark, um, right. and then we had Mia um, about 18 months later. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was a conscious decision to try and keep that right, close, yeah, yeah. close together. Great. So, like, if you're in nappies mode, like, kind of get out of the way. So, yeah, we've, so we've, we've got we've got two kids. So, when I started that, when 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 I started the business, we we had um, yeah, we had a little kid running about. And when you're when you're operating as a freelancer, it's fairly riskless let's say fairly risk-free yeah when you start employing people um the bigger it gets the harder it falls i think is the old adage and Mm. um you have things coming around like you know payday and you have greater responsibility you have to now make money because you know you have to pay your staff bills even if your clients don't pay you and things just get a little bit more you know nervous i guess um and higher pressure massively i think you've understated that i think yeah yes so i'm just talking about at the start though i know how i know know it gets to a more even more serious so so typically it's if you're a freelancer you've got there's a smaller mouth to feed Mm -hmm. in terms of um you know you've got operations uh sales Mm -hmm. and um finance Mm -hmm. And then you've got, as your business gets busier, there's the, a bit bigger, there's the whole culture culture side of it. Mm. And when you're smaller, you can focus uh, very much on, on operations and kind of get through your projects. And mm-hmm. as you build a little team, um, that, that mouth to feed is not as big. So there's stress, but it's not the stress that we mm. know as, as the team, team gets bigger. And you have to really learn to handle that stress um at the very start was yeah was what was the, what were the hardest things of go of of going from just yourself to say a team of five what was the what were the hardest challenges of getting from that point to that point or was that fairly straightforward for you i think that's i think that that sort of growth bit is quite easy five to ten yeah i think from five to ten then all of a sudden you start to to get into waters where you know you've got a target that you've got to hit every month. Yeah. So and that's that's the moment where it's come up to payday and you're thinking where we could get this money from. Mm. You're feeling physically sick. And did you did you feel that way? Mass- yeah. Mm. Massively. Massively. Talk to me about the detail of like those moments and and specific examples of where you knew it was payday and you knew that you, as things are, um, you didn't have enough money in the bank account to... Well, let's, I'll tell you what we did one day. We, we, we had a run into to the wages and it was like last minute, whether we'd get paid, whether we'd get that money in the bank. We got paid, got the money in the bank and we paid everyone. And typically, you know, payday, sometimes you have a few grumbles and we thought it was going to get paid in the morning and they get paid in the afternoon. Uh, and they don't realise what you're going through. And we'd, we'd paid that money out. We'd not been taking money out ourselves. And I went to the shop 
to go and get something to eat for myself and I had no money in the bank. Mm. So I just paid all the wages and I didn't, I, I, I didn't have any change on me or anything. And I went to, the, I went, went to go to the shop to get something to eat and I couldn't buy any lunch. Did anybody realise, did, did any of your team realise, so how many people did you have at that point? Um, we probably we probably had about 12 at that point. So you've just paid more. 12 people mm. um, and then you realise that you have zero, you're like zero, you're not enough for lunch yourself. Mm. Does anybody in your team realise that? No. And no. how do you, how do you go home, at, like how does it feel to like go home the night before knowing that in the morning people were expecting to be paid and you didn't know how that was going to happen? Um, what's that feeling like? What's the feeling like? I can give it from my own experiences. Yeah. We've been, you know, we've been there yeah. at the very start. But like, I want to hear. It. This is why I'm <laughs> asking the question because you 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 have the, the the sleepless nights where you just can't get to sleep. It's it's people don't realise that it is always there. You you just zone out when you're talking to family members because you're you're thinking about. You know, next Tuesday, you know, yeah, you, you should be relaxing over the weekend and spending time with family. And you, you're thinking about Tuesday coming up, um, you know, what am I going to do on the Monday? Is there anything I can do Sunday night? You, you're thinking what you can do in order to make sure that that money comes in. You know, I, that, that client promised to pay me. Um, you, you start to build up. You just, 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 I think you've mentioned that you just zone out. You're not, you're not, you're not, you're not typically good company. Then you've got the nights running up to it where, you're in bed, you can't sleep, you're staring at the ceiling thinking, how am I going to make sure that this, this money's paid? It's, it's, it's looking a bit iffy here. And did you ever have to let, pe- let sort of people you really cared about in the business go because of that? Because you realise that, you know, you can't, you know, you need to scale back a little bit. Um, we've, we've had periods in the business where um, I've held out too long. So, Stupidly, not wanting to let people go at Christmas time, mm-hmm. and held out, and personally suffered because of, because of that. Um, not making a quick enough decision in terms of saying in the early days. I think one one of the pinch points in terms of in terms of running the business is that you you make loads of mistakes. Some are more costly than others, and in the early days we had pretty poor financial control. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, now we've got. You know, and a lot of people who are starting out now will have zero. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's all live data. It comes in from your bank feed, and it's all very, very current. You're getting your profit and loss within mm-hmm. a week of your, your month end. Back then, we were sitting down and having meetings with our accountant every three months. Right. Um, it was really slow getting that information, even slower than that at the start. Mm. So you've not got that really relevant information in terms of how you're doing in, in the business. Um, and you're making decisions totally blind and we'd got to a point where we'd grow, grown the business to a certain size and really looking at where we were in the sales we, sh- we, we, we shouldn't have been we, we were, tr- we were sort size. of ha- hiring ahead of the curve sure yeah and we, we, uh, we did exactly the same thing and for the first year we made a loss because we um, we scaled very very fast and invested all our capital but we also really had no idea how much money we were really making yeah i think that's the thing is you see okay client's gonna pay me 20 grand or whatever okay that means i get 20 grand when you do the math yeah you, you know you're spending 13 you're spending three months executing the work whatever which yeah. in the including the wages the lights the food the travel you're actually spending like 14 grand let's say yeah. to, to complete the work 
because it's taken you three months, you've also got tax, VAT, all these other yeah. things. And, you, and then you're like, fuck, I actually made nothing because yeah. it also took me one month to win the business and go to London. And pay. So like, fuck, we actually only made a hundred quid there, really, mm. you know, gross profit. And, yeah. um, and, it, and it's all very deceptive. The lights are off, as I used to refer to it. You know, you're making decisions in the dark. And, mm. until you, and it's the single most, I, said, I think I said it on the podcast, the single most important thing for me in reflection um, and for all business owners that are, are thinking of hiring people and making, adding responsibility to their plate is don't like make sure you've got the number, you understand the numbers yeah. or you have, or even better, you have someone like an accountant, a, a yeah. CFO that can educate you. So you as an entrepreneur can just focus on the stuff you're good at because I'm yeah. shit with numbers. Like, yeah, I, I'm yeah. dyslexic. So I, I struggle a lot with, with things like that. Um, I'm, I know what I'm doing, obviously, mm. but, but yeah. I, I can sometimes struggle to take in that information. Sure. It's like podcast taking while I absorb that information. Sometimes yeah, when yeah. I'm reading stuff, I have to read things time and time again. It's really frustrating. Um, but another piece of advice I'd say to, to, to um, um, younger people managing businesses um, in the early days is if, if, if the profit and loss, if, if, the, if it doesn't make sense to you in, how the, um, in terms of how the accounts are are shown to you <clears throat> question it ask for it to be done in a, in a different way um, it, you know in terms of how our cost of sales are, are done in, in, in our profit and loss I always question the accountant and I want it done one way and he so wants it done the sure. other so always feel that you're happy to question it there's no orthodox way of doing it there's, there's little hints and tips but actually challenge it and 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 go through it. And as your business gets bigger and there's more transactions, you've got to be even um, more on it in terms of making sure, <clears throat> you know, what's this thing we're paying for every month? Why yeah. have we got that? Let's get it out of there. Uh, that can be quite tough sure. to, to, to be, especially if things are going well and your turnover's high, you can be um, less scrupulous in terms about of going pennies. through. Yeah, about yeah, the pennies. Yeah. yeah. I said that to someone the other day. Um, <clears throat> we have a consultant we hired and we only pay we pay him a, a nominal fee compared to the reven, the revenues we generate. Um, and he his rebuttal to me when I cancelled his contract was, "I know you're doing say seven figures a month, whatever. This is nothing um, compared to the revenues you're making. Why are you cancelling this contract?" And um, and I said in a previous email to him when I cancelled his contract that you know we, we are a, we're a young business. We have 160 people, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, and he rebuttaled me on the 160 people. And my point to him was, um, now that we have a greater headcount, in fact, I have more responsibility. Yeah. This whole thing can fall 10 times harder. Mm. So I should be more concerned about every single penny yeah. than I was when there was only five because my responsibility is now greater than ever. Yeah. So it was a great point that he mentioned my headcount because it's actually the, the reason why I'm now more, I care more about the pennies. And yeah. Going back to one of your points a second ago, um, on relationships, how has those tough times and those hard nights, those sleepless nights, mm. the stress of it all, how has that undoubtedly um, impacted your relationships with, with your partner? Because you, you've got to take it home with you. As you said, you know, I've spoken to a few entrepreneurs now and there's a consistent theme of them being in the room but being a million miles away. Yeah, definitely. And, and, and how is that for her to understand? And you know, Well, I'll tell you what's changed a lot is that Katie works in the business now. She's the she's the finance director. Okay. And before she worked in the business, she didn't understand where I was coming from. As much as I sat down and explained, even you know over a glass of wine or you know 
you know, if you're away camping, you talk a little bit more. Yeah. But, you not know, not just more, arguments. <laughs> yeah, 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 not just arguments. When you really talk, because there are moments when you really talk, yeah. and there's moments when you just kind of go through, grow through emotions a little bit, as, as all relationships do. When you're really talking, you still can't get across what it's like. And there's been moments now where, you know, she's running the finance and the business and it's particularly tough and it's a really, really tough, tough job, especially when she's had no training and she's kind of learned all the job. But she now really understands where I'm coming from. And, and I get asked a lot, you know, you know working with your wife, seeing her every day. And my, my response is, you know, if you look to times of war, you know, talk to, you know, family members and they, they couldn't see the loved ones for, for a long amount of time. I think it's great to be able to spend that amount of time together. And if you don't get on, you probably shouldn't shouldn't be together. I think it helps that I do a very different role, so I'm very sales orientated and ops, ops orientated. Whereas case, you know, um, credit control and finance and that, that side of things. So it helps that there's a bit of Balance, difference yeah. there. And also, Kate really still wants to do the the mum thing, so she'll go and pick the kids up. So Kate will typically start in the morning and then finish around sort of half two three. And go and pick the kids up, and then do, and then work from home, and then work from there. So you said um, before she was involved in the business, she didn't really understand yeah. what it was like. So just to loop back then to try and get more of a sort of like you know uh, fully um, appreciative answer to that question. Yeah, what is it like if you had to to, to to summarize in a couple of sentences what it's like being a, a CEO of a company with with staff and teams and uncertainty and all these things? What is it like? For someone that's listening, right, that's only ever watched the Social Network movie and seen Dragon's Den and has mm. this sort of like very um, naive perception of what being a CEO or an entrepreneur is like and thinks it's all glitz glam and jet mm. skis, what is it like? It's, 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 it's what the public sees. So they'll, they, can, they can see and understand you've got a dream, you've got a talent, you want to create something, you're moving forward to, 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 to get something that you want to attain. And that's all the fluffy stuff. That's the good stuff. It's the you know, powering forward to do, do it. it. The dark side is that there's a long, drawn-out um, <laughs> kind of pumping-out rejection of like cortisol that's just constantly running through your body. And you slowly learn to manage it. And you have moments certainly at the start of the business where you're having panic attacks you know you're driving the car and you just freak out you freak you f- your hands are stuck around the wheel you've, you've, you've you know we're kind of moving on to kind of mental health a little bit here but you, you it, it causes you to suffer in certain ways so you know panic attacks I don't you know didn't, didn't know you know what a panic attack was you don't know what it is when you first ex- experience it um, and you don't tell anyone about it start, at the start you just kind of absorb it and then you, you'll then have certain circumstances. Like my dad suffered with panic attacks and the first time he had a panic attack was when he was in the bath. Mm. So every time he gets in the bath, it, it comes back. Mm. Um, so I think that that people... I was often... Uh, I, went to, I went to an event and someone compared it to uh, beauty and barbed wire. Right. So you've got all that, that kind of glamorous, glitzy stuff and then you've got the thing that things that you have to be resilient to mm-hmm. underneath. So you have to constantly take the knocks and people don't often talk about the knocks, whether it's a legal battle you're having with uh, a, a client, mm. whether it's uh, an issue you're having with a staff member, 
whether you are really beating yourself up over over something you've lost or a decision you've made or, or whatever it is. There's great uncertainty, right? And I, do, I mean mm. uncertainty long term, but I also mean uncertainty when you wake up in the morning. Yeah. One of the things that I've, uh, you know, we I learned was that you know I can plan my day as much as I want. Yeah. I can plan my week as much as I want. I yeah. can plan the month as much as I want, but. I'm going to wake up one day this week and there's going to be some unexpected message, which I'll get and it'll be, and it'll start with just so you know, or, and it'll be from one of the team telling me something that's happened or it'll be an email saying, you know, do you have that thing where you can, your brain, you skim read it. It's it's almost, you don't read it almost. Your brain just picks up a pattern or something and you know, it's a bad email. Like just from how it starts. So you get a preview. Yeah, like yeah, I get a preview pop up whether it's a notification or if it's WhatsApp. You can see the, the start of the sentence, yeah. or the you know the subject of the email, and I'll know. I'll because instant you know you, you do, you've done this for three years. You probably received millions of messages in some form, and I'll know the one, how the bad ones start. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I know yeah. I know the little notification preview, and yeah. so I, I you know I used to get a point where that would pop up, and I'd get that feeling yeah. in my chest of like. It's like almost like this nervous anxiousness at the minute I see that notification because I'm like, oh no, is that another one of those ones? Yeah. Or that's yeah. happened. Or and I don't know if you have this thing. It's where I'm at now is that so the nerves kick in mm-hmm. and you, you you get really hit up and then this this other thing kicks in, which I don't know whether that's the resilience, right? That's the resilience where you think um, I've got this. Yeah, right. I've got yeah, this, yeah, yeah. and you kind of you, put yourself back down. And is is that something that entrepreneurs and bosses have and they've got that element and that's what they're able to sort of handle it or I don't know. No, that's definitely, in my opinion, that's definitely a learned thing Mm. because the first time those things happen, there's not that thing that kicks in necessarily and in such a composed way. It's almost like, um, you know, I've said, I don't know if I said this on the podcast, but being an entrepreneur has made me much, much harder, but Mm. also so much more compassionate. It's yeah. made me like be able to be a really nice person, but also it's turned me into this kind of like cold, um, resilient rock of like, you know, a hard piece of coal. Mm. Um, and I'm able to move to both places. So I can be lovely, lovely, lovely mm. when talking to new members of the teams, you know, like get on my, you know, yeah. scooch down next to their desk and just talk to them about whatever and try and be really friendly and welcoming. Mm. And then when I get those messages, I'm able to default to my place of cold, hard rock. Yeah, yeah. That's been through a lot of shit and those. That, yeah. you know that this is another piece of shit to deal with yeah um and is that that old cliche of um you know it's more you know it's, it's bad news just put the next step forward and mm. and have your brain open to the next piece of good news that's that's going to come you've got to yeah. push yourself, yourself into that hindsight becomes this wonderful this wonderful thing you mustn't forget where in a moment i can remember the first time i thought i was myself and the business were fucked. I can mm. remember that very clearly. I can remember how I felt. And then I can also remember getting past it because yeah. I'm here. And then yeah. I can remember the second time I thought I was fucked and the business was over and we were done. And I can remember, you know, that, that feeling. Yeah. And then I remember getting past it. Yeah. And you do that five times and there's mm. really no news you can break to me now where you're going to be able to convince me that any, every, there's anything to worry yeah. about. Yeah. I've been, you know, we've been through it all. I, I remember people saying to me, oh, at one point, you know, because our business started on Twitter. When Twitter dies, your business dies. Twitter virtually died yeah. amongst my generation in terms of engagement. We're fine. People mm. say, said things to me about this channel and we surpassed that too. So when they say it to me now, I know it's not the case because yeah. I know that we get through those tough times with a certain self-belief, resilience, and looking forward, not dwelling. Yeah. And I said to one of my members of my team, um, about a year ago, I said there's two different types of people. There's 
there's one type of person where they're in a room and it's on fire and they'll turn to you and say, the room is on fire, right? And they'll just keep saying, the room is on fire. They'll keep repeating it. And then there's a re- the resilient sort of entrepreneur type that will see the rooms on fire, not tell the other person, not mention the fact that there's a fire and just focus solely on how we get out of this fucking room. Mm. And that's the difference. That's, that's how I identify a leader from someone who isn't cut out to be a leader. Yeah. And, I, and I used to say to somebody that used to work, uh, work for me, um, you need to stop mentioning the fire and you need to stop like focusing on the fire. Yeah, yeah. And so he kept coming back to me every month and saying, Steve, Steve, I'm not looking at the fire. I'm not focusing on the fire. Yeah. I'm just focusing on how we get out. Like, yeah. you know? So it's, um, <laughs> this is now a reference, now a reference yeah. point. But for, you know, for all these things, you know, all the hardships, all the pain and uncertainty and mm. the anxiety and the panic attacks, why then? Why be an entrepreneur? What's it? Cause it doesn't sound from what you've said, like it's worth it. Why not live a comfortable super comfortable life which is you know give that problem the anxiety the stress to another guy or yeah. girl yeah why 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 be the entrepreneur oh god it's tough that um because i'm, I'm wouldn't I'm, it be I'm, easier I'm, yeah and you must have asked yourself that question i've asked myself that question a few times and you, you have those moments when you're down and you think this would be easier if i just went and got a creative director role somewhere or you know whatever it was but i think it's. I think it's. It's. It's creating something. It's. It, it just feels like more of a. It, it's a more rounded challenge. So if I go and be the best creative creative director I can be, or the best designer that I can be, or or whatever that is, versus doing it all off my own back and creating something and 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 having something, some kind of legacy, whether my kids come in and manage the business or whether we sell it and we do amazingly well or whatever happens with the business it's it just feels like a more visceral project mm. maybe it's because of the risk maybe that's the whole entrepreneur thing do you it's, think you're a bit addicted to it addicted do you think you're a little bit addicted to the 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 fluctuation the, how much it makes you feel I'm the same as you and I think a lot of people are, that, that I seem to kick into an extra gear when my back's to the wall, mm-hmm. I seem to perform better when, when I'm under a, a certain amount, certain amount of stress. Um, I'm addicted to it. I feel Perversely, like maybe. I it's like, like I hate pitching. I absolutely hate pitching. Right. absolutely hate pitching. But I'll speak to another agency owner about this and you, you get addicted to the pitch, pitching mm-hmm. and winning. But from a... It just doesn't make any business sense at all. If you can, if you can run your agency without pitching, you would be so much more profitable. Mm. Um, but it's part and parcel of, of, of growing, agency yeah. life and growing sure. and, and winning with new customers. Do maybe, you, yeah. If I'm speaking honestly, maybe I'm a little bit addicted to to the. Because I think I'm that. a little bit addicted to the feet. Almost, I feel. I feel like it's a developed addiction where the days that I feel most fulfilled are the days that. Um, at the end of the day, at the end of a tough day, when mm. I've when things have been resolved and I've gone home and got into bed and I'm just relaxing, I feel like I'm almost addicted to the relaxation after solving some tough yeah. problems. Yeah. In a weird way, you know, the days where everything goes swimmingly and I get in bed are quite boring to me now. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's, you're saying you're right; it's kind of perverse. What, yeah. what what I wanted to to get to then is so you're now running this business. There's there's ten people there. The tough times. The you know being you know feeling sick, physically sick. And mm. when I think when I when when People hear you say that, they think, okay, that's an expression, no. but it's actually feeling G- genuinely Genuinely, the, the blood has gone from your face, 
you you are physically stopping yourself from being sick in the toilet. That that is how tough things get. How many times did that happen? What, it's definitely happened all well, the time. Ha- no, it's happened on three occasions. Okay. Two of those occasions were when it was close to the bone in mm-hmm. terms of payday. Mm-hmm. Um, and when the when the, the business had failed failed once. I mean we you know I started the business in two thousand eight. It was the start of a recession. It wasn't it wasn't a good wasn't a good time to, to yeah. be starting a business really. No. Um, so yeah it, it the, the one time was when we when we um, um, I thought oh shit this is it we're not gonna have to we're not gonna be able to pay, pay wages and the other time was when when the when when the business had, had gone down the pan a little bit and they had to let some people go. Um, and the other time was when I read through some information on something that happened in the business very recently when, when some staff had left and it was all very underhand. And I remember reading through some messages that weren't meant for me and it was all behind my back. And I went, I, a person who was with me said, you are right, you, you are totally white. Mm. The blood had just totally drained from my face and I, and I could and I went to the toilet and I was was sick. Right. I wasn't nearly sick. I was I was actually sick. So so I want to get into those two significant life ev- events that you have, which have um, you referenced at the start of this podcast. Yeah. The first one, from what I understand, is the terrorist attack. This that was the second one. It was the it was the more um, it was the more frightening one. And so that one came the, after. That was after. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So t- touching then on on that that thing you touched on there about being sick. Yeah, because you discovered messages. Tell me that story. From what I understand, a, a significant proportion of your team and your senior leadership team yeah. left abruptly and out of the blue, and yeah. kind of left you in the lurch, unannounced, and mm. took some of your um, key contacts, let's say, yeah. with them. What happened was at the end of March, we'd um, just paid wages, we just paid bonuses, um, things were going. Uh, well in the business we um, adjust it was it was a Friday just finished a game of pool uh, we talked with, with two of the other uh, managers and one of them said um, uh, the other managers come in just want to have a quick chat with you so uh, I said okay no problem I've got friends sort of round for, for tea tonight so I can hang on but I can't wait too long we went into the went into the to the meeting room and the other two managers walked in uh behind the other one and said uh, we actually all want to talk to you um, one of those people had worked I'd known for 15 years worked for me for five the other two worked for me around, around the same time uh, and they sat down and said uh, we're leaving we're taking three staff and we're setting up a competing agency and I just had this out of body experience where I was thinking, this is actually happening to me now. The, the, what they've just said is is real. This is really, really happening. It's really happening now. This is gonna could destroy me. Could totally change my life. Just it, it went from this is a joke to this is really happening. And I remember just being stuck there and frozen and then all of a sudden thinking right I need to start asking some relevant questions here. I need to try and work out um, what it is 
that you know what questions can I ask to, to get some kind of advantage out of it and in that moment how so how do you feel how do you react because I imagine I imagine you felt an, an array of things right yeah I mean shock fear and then anger so they got to a point where they turned and said um you know, I'd, I'd ask some questions. Do clients know? Do have you spoke to the staff about this? No, we know our legal obligations. So I'm thinking, all oh, right, I spoke to a solicitor earlier, like they're really ahead of the game on on this than me. And they said, uh, you know, we want this to be amicable. And I was like, amicable? What do you mean amicable? You know, amicable. This isn't. How can this be amicable? You you you're giving me no notice. You're taking three of my staff. You set up a competing agency. No, this. Uh, and I remember feeling my voice getting louder and louder and louder. And I had this thing where I thought, I need to get out of the room because if I, I'm going to do something stupid, I started to think, they could be recording this. You know, this, I am, this, they've all of a sudden had time to think about, it, it kind of dawned on me, they've had time to think about this and I'm just getting told this now. So your brain's trying to catch up and think, right, just get out of the room, pull yourself together, and then look at what you're going to do. So I went out of the room, I was pacing up and down, um, just fuming, uh, you know, thinking, you know, what do I do? What's my next move? So I just, I went back in and said, look, I can't speak to you now. I'm, I'm going to totally lose it. I'm worried about what I'm going to do. Um, I'm fuming. Uh, I spoke to uh, Jason, who's my cousin, who, who works for as well as an account manager. Said, told him what had happened because I'd slammed the door when I walked out, um, and he was just in, in shock. He's like, "What?" So I said, "Yeah, I said, this has happened." I said, "Make sure you get the keys and the laptops. Um, I'm just going to go home, pull myself together, and then I'll speak to you." I went home. I was just, to, you know, again being fully honest. I'd love to say I wasn't, but I was really upset. I was, to, I was in tears. Mm-hmm. Um, I spoke to to Katie about it, and she just couldn't. It just didn't compute. How you know, was her reaction? Just shock. Just like I'd gone home and told her that uh, you know I'd got something that was you know some kind of dizzy. It's just total shock. It was. She just didn't know. She just could just. She's like, no. Why? No, they wouldn't. You know, why would they do that? They wouldn't do that to you. And you've known, you've known one of them for 15 years? Yeah, I've known one for 15 years. Um, has, uh, that, has that made you not trust people in the same way? I think... Yeah, it's like... I suppose it's like um, being hurt in love. I mean, what do you do? Just all of a sudden have a cold heart and never trust anybody again. I think... I'm a bit more cautious about about how much I tell people about the business and how much maybe I I give. But in terms of trusting people and throwing myself into it, I've got to do that. I mean, you've, you've you, running an agency; it's a, it's a person led business. You've got to have really close relationships with people. And I know they all say you know you shouldn't have friends in business and all the rest of it, but. You work. You spend a lot of time together, especially in agency life, when you, you you're doing more hours than, than you should be doing. And you know, I thought I thought there was, and maybe I've read this wrong. I thought there was love there. I thought there was, a, you know, a good friendship. We'd gone to 
events together, um, you know, gone to festivals and um, spent a lot of time together at work and, and, and things like that. Uh, always done everything I possibly could, whether it was people being paid early or um, helping stuff out in the personal life or one of them got injured and went and picked him up every single day while he, while he had a bad leg from, from you know, quite, quite far out. So you, you just try and do everything you can. Um, there was, you know, profit share put forward. And you talk about, you know, their career. And, you know, what, so you, you do as much, you, you, you give and do as much as you possibly can. But I think the truth is, I think the real truth is that however much you try and do, they still see you as a boss. And however much you try to change that, there's, there's either that realization that you know you're being stupid, you are a boss, you've got to you've got to live up to that, or you try and change that. And I think I was trying to change that. I didn't want to be. I could see I could see elements of of the fact that I was boss like, um, and I and I wanted to kind of undo it. Um, Going back to that day, then yeah. So the day. You know, you go home, you tell your wife what's happened. You've had your key people leave, and they've taken some other some of the other team with them. Mm. How do you? What happened then? Up from that point, it was even more. Just to just to let you know how sort of complicated it was, how sort of ingrained we were with each other outside of work, not only inside of work. Um, one of the managers' um, f- future best men was around at my house. I was going to meet him and his wife, and to you know, have a, have a drink that evening, have a bite to eat. And then, um, you know, I got in and I thought, right, well, I won't sort of, you know, try and drop this on them, but I did. <clears throat> so, they, you know, they couldn't, they couldn't understand it, couldn't believe it and all the rest of it. And then the, the, the big shock was on the, I was upset. Um, I had a couple of people come around on the Saturday and try and help me out and understand what was going on. I had a competitor, a friend of mine, Neil, he came round and we had my accountant come round and sat. They'd never been to my house before, so you know, it was mm. a big, big deal. All of a sudden, you've got these, these people that you've kind of, kind of always seen as just your, your business buddies to a certain degree. All of a sudden, they're round at your house, so that's quite a, a big, big um, message. And then on the Sunday, we we went to the studio and started to look for evidence of wrongdoing. And I'd spoke to my solicitor and he, he was kind of saying, you know, look for X, Y, and Z and, and this is the, these are the things you can look at. The first smoking gun was that we'd seen a, um, an intellectual property release form uh, which should have been signed by me and I wasn't, wasn't aware of it for one of our clients. So that was the first thing to so think, oh God, right, okay, they're, they're, they're really at it here. What does that mean for anybody that doesn't know? So um, when we create something or design something for a customer, we own the IP to it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's kind of, it, it resides with us and we have to release that to a customer. So customers sometimes ask for it, but we you know, very rarely re- release it. Um, typically, we're pretty good agents. So we say, you know, once it's paid for in full, we release it, but some customers will also ask for it. It's quite unusual though. So to see it signed on the date that they left by one of the people that left was really worrying. Um, we then found another one for another for another another brand, another client. Then we got onto one of the computers and we seen that there was a we transfer uh, thank you message saying thank you for transferring your transferring your files from uh, here to this new email address. 
And this new email address was this new agency that they'd set up. And I was kind of expected it, but was just feeling lower and lower. And then we got onto one of the machines and one of the managers had left a huge amount of evidence on there um, in terms of messages. And when we started to read through that, that's when the shock of how long it had been planned over, what they'd been doing, what they'd been saying. How long had it been? Uh, three months. So it'd been planned over three months. So so going through the details of that was just just the just the betrayal, just the betrayal. It, it was it was tough to read, and I knew I needed to read through it to get the evidence together to protect the the business. And had they said things about you personally? Yeah, you know? yeah. Things that I imagine weren't very nice. Yeah, it was it was kind of laughing and joking about how people I knew in Manchester and other business owners would would find out about it and it was kind of laughing around what they thought would be my demise. It was laughing around the fact that um you know how the other staff would feel. Um, those aren't those aren't friends though are they? These aren't people that are friends. These people, if someone's laughing at your demise, that's somebody that doesn't like you. Like, they don't want yeah. the best for you. Mm. And how does it get to the point where someone that's been with you for five years or known you in 15 years is laughing at your demise? I don't understand that. Like, that's that's so tough the, because, you know, obviously I've got people here who I've known for five years and yeah. those people are like, they're my brothers. Mm. Like, we're... So the, the thought of... The, what would have to have happened for them to get to a point where they laughed at me? I think from what I can see on the messages, it's gone from we're going to do this to we'll approach another staff member, we'll spend a bit of time working on our strategy, we'll start working on our branding, we'll start working on our logo, we'll, we've approached these staff, this person's on board, that person's on board. Um, we'll work on the website so in a high time, they're working on their new agency website, and there was that, there was twenty seven pieces of evidence, including their, uh, uh, there was six contracts with six full time staff, and and so reading through that, it's almost like you feel stupid because you think I thought there was a genuine relationship there, and. It was just all facade. So you feel dumb. You feel really, really dumb. How how could you have misread that in terms of, in hindsight, what have you learned about the warning signs or... Um... It's a really, really good question. And this is something that's kind of haunted me a little bit in terms of, like, were there little clues? Uh, I remember sort of noticing that one of the managers was just a little bit off. And I, I said to him, you, you're right, is everything okay? Do you have a, you know, have a chat? And just kind of thinking he's having a bit of a bad time in his own life. Um, just just, just a bit worried. Or that he was worried about something at work and he would just, just always dismiss it. And the, the staff were always really open to coming and having a chat with me. And, you know, I've had staff that have been through... Um, really tough personal 
you know, health issues and, and things like that. So I've always had an open door, you know, always said that you can talk to me any minute, no matter how busy I am, you know, pull me aside. And for them to, for him to just kind of dismiss it a little bit, in retrospect now, I feel well, there, was a, there was a sign there. Mm. Um, but your, your perception of the situation was so far from what was actually going on. And mm. that, as a, as a CEO, I'm trying to figure out how how that's the case. It, it, what, what... it, was, it, was, it was well choreographed. Mm. I mean, they had this thing of working with a, a black screen mm-hmm. with black text if they were doing anything. Right. It was, and I remember, again, in retrospect, I think I nearly, I remember him sort of switching a, something off, but you, you, you have staff like that. They might, they might have been, I don't know, you know, looking at something they shouldn't have been looking at, sure. um, you know, social media or whatever. So there was, there was little elements of that, but there was, they would work away that if, if I was coming in and they were in the meeting room talking about their new venture, that, that one of the other ones would guide me away and uh, distract me and talk to me about, about something else. You know, if, if Mark, Mark, Mark's supposed to be coming at such, such, such a time, take him over to the pool table and distract him because we're in there talking about such and such thing. So at that level... You, yeah, speaking honestly, Steve, it's, it's, you, you do feel stupid. Like, how have I missed that? And you start to think, other people looking in on this are going to think, nah, something was going on there. How, how did he miss that? But all the other staff were in total shock. Nobody knew anything. What? what so I'm, the way that I'm, I've always been... And I think my mum taught me this because my mum, she um, she started, I don't know, probably 18 or 20 businesses and all of them have gone bust one mm. by one. And if you ask my mum why the business went bust, she'll say, um, she'll either blame it on the government. She does that a lot. Yeah. She also spends, her the other 50% of the time she blames it on either thieves or she blames it on NatWest. Because yeah. eight of her business, all like uh, properties got repossessed. Yeah. She taught me that Inadvertently, she taught me to just take the fucking like blame for everything myself, yeah. and that like and that sort of we call it an internal locus of control. Just always yeah. trying to look at what I did that mm. could have been better. Is honestly what I um, attribute to um, being able to progress and learn from situations. Yeah. When you look back, what are the things you think? Do you know what I wish I'd done that differently, or what, what areas do you think I should take the blame for that? And blame is a strong word to use, but I no, think no, no, no. I think, I think, I think, I'm, uh, I think if you speak to other people around me, I think I'm quick to take the blame. I think I spoke to, to um, Matthew, one of my designers, who's, who's worked with me. He was the first designer that I took on. He still still works for me, and I was saying to him, you know, I think I'm to blame for some of these things. I was too, and, and genuinely, I still do think I'm to blame for that. I was too open mm-hmm. um, about what we were doing with the business. Um, where we were going, mm-hmm. um, what I was trying to do, and maybe just showing them too much and give them a little bit too much control. But I always, you're always kind of, you speak to your mentors and they say, you know, you need to kind of um, look to build a business that will run without you being there. For sure. You know, you're always pushed, you must have been heard that. No, you, that's you, the truth, you, yeah. you get you get that get that lot, so you, you push it that way. So I was undoing that and thinking well, I just let, I got let go too much you know I was there and I was running things and and again typically if, if, if something happens you know shit's at the fan I'll go in and take the blame for it mm-hmm. and if you know something good's happened or whatever then you'll try and you know not take the accolade for it you'll, you'll let one of the other guys do it 
So and, and Matthew had said to me, "Look, you've you've been really good to these people. You <clears throat> you can't take the blame for what's gone on. They've just they've just took advantage." So so going back to to answer your question, I think I was I was maybe too open, especially with the finance of the business and, and what was going on. I think you know we did. I think it was about ninety turnover in in the December, um, which was which was a you know was kind of we were bouncing about towards mm-hmm. getting up to a million turnover, which is where I wanted to be. And I was always open and transparent and honest. And I and I and I, and I think there's a there's a there's a layer there that you shouldn't go past. And I'm, and, I, and I've dropped that a little bit, I suppose, with with with, with my team now. Um, you know, I don't discuss too much of what's discussed with. The accountants with the with the senior team. I'll give them enough information for them to push on and do what they need to do for the business, but not not the the, the, the granular detail. Uh, I was always warned about that from my mum and dad. You're too open. You're telling them too much. Um, <laughs> my mum was, was always moaning that you know um, she was frustrated that her um, employers never did enough. You know, we got a box of chocolates at Christmas or whatever, and you know I'd stick money in a card for. For my team, and always try and do as much as a as much as I possibly can. Mm-hmm. So I, th- I think cer- certainly with that respect, that's that's definitely one element. Just being too transparent, being being, being too open. So for this, for the, in the interest of fairness, I'd love those individuals. I think there's six of them, right? Mm. Six of them. I'd love them to be here because you kind of want to get the perspective, yeah, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. And I'm sure as hell they'll have a different perspective on the situation as every human being in the world would in any yeah. situation. Yeah. And they would have seen it from a different light. They, um, the individuals that left, they spoke to Prolific North, didn't they? They did, yeah. Did you read what they what they said? I did. Am I okay to read it? Uh, yeah, if you want. Is that yeah. okay? Yeah, go Because I want to I get your take on this. So yeah. they said, um, we were informed at the end of January of Mark's intentions to put the com- company into administration, followed by a two-month absence of both Ahoy directors, which is referring to yourself and yeah. another person, I'm presuming. We decided to be proactive and set up this new agency um, so we could fully utilize our skills and the things we'd learned, essentially. We were conscious of our own reputations, particularly um, with this not being the first time yourself had entered a company into, into the posi- position of administration. Um and and that's essentially what the what the statement says. Yeah. Um, what's your response to that? Because that's what the first thing I read when. Yeah. You know. So, ju- to to be clear on this, I was given a call the night before that went live, mm-hmm. and, and they said we we're going to run this story, mm-hmm. and I said, no, please don't run the story. Mm-hmm. We've been through enough. You know, don't don't run the story. It's it's, it's going to kill us. Um, and I was told, you know, profit enough. I was being good. And they said, look, mm-hmm. really, so I've got got to run it. I was gutted, but they run it. So I checked what I was going to write with my solicitor. And then we got that response and I was fuming because um, we disappeared for two months. We had work going on at home, mm-hmm. so I wasn't in as much as, as I would normally be. Talk to me about but, that. Because from, from my own perspective, I want to end... Because you can imagine that my business is at a point where uh, it's big and I'm, I'm required to be all over. And you know, this yeah. month alone, I've got... Uh, 16 speaking appointments in different places yeah, yeah, so yeah. you know with traveling all things considered I'm here five days this month yep. so when I one of the things you know one of the reasons I wanted to talk to you is to understand um, if that was part of the reason if absence mm. and not being because you've got these two things that are at play you've got like something went on that you didn't see mm. when the question becomes why didn't you see it and then mm. you know you, you say that you're you're out I want to mm. make sure from a personal standpoint that I'm not like this is a very selfish like I'm not I'm just trying to figure out that I'm not 
out yeah, too much for yeah. something similar so, to take place where I lose so, touch. Well, stepping back into a bigger picture, so one of the key things that I wanted to do with running the business was to make sure that I didn't take drastic sacrifices that I would really deeply regret as I got older. Mm-hmm. So trying to spend a bit more time with family. Mm-hmm. So my big thing was that I didn't really want to take any other holidays, but in August, when things went a little bit quiet with decision makers in the business, um, my dream was to take four weeks off and we'd do the like camping with the family. Uh, and I did that four years, every August, and it was great because each time I went away, there was mistakes that were made, but then I would come back and we'd talk them through through the team. Um, so there were things that we missed out on while I was away that could have took the business forward. But in general, um, we'd go away, i spent time with family, I wouldn't re- regret that as I got older, and it was at a good time of year when uh, decision makers were and all that type of thing. Um, Katie had asked me, God knows how many times, must be over 12 years, uh, you know, we've had the same kitchen in the house, can we have a new kitchen, can we have a new kitchen? Next year, next year, always, always put it off. And uh, we, we'd started to talk about the fact that uh, we'd do it, so I said, we'll do it as long as it's on a, on a low budget and I don't want it to affect it. So we'll sell one of the cars, we'll do up the kitchen, Kate's brother was doing it on the cheap, he had a mate who could supply the granite. Who, who, so we, we did it on... Um, we did it on the cheap and um, yeah, so I was spending a bit more time doing that. But to say I wasn't in the business, I mean, we did uh, Prolific North Live. You know, I, I did that, helped I put the stand up myself and, and stood on there for two days. We did um, we did a restaurant and bar show and again, helped that set that up. Um, wasn't on the stand, but you know, so I was, I was there and I was on emails and I was in, in the business. I was turning up and going, you know, I'd turn up and have like stuff that I'd, you know, I've been painting at home or I'd paint on my jeans or whatever. Um, so to say I disappeared is, is this, this, the, the, I had a chance to respond to Prolific North. Yeah. And I looked at that and I thought, I'm not getting into that. Because you're just going to go back and forth and back it's, and forth. It's backwards and forwards. And, and it's and, almost beside the point a little bit, you know. In some respects, it's not, you know, you being absent isn't necessarily a good enough reason for, uh, you know, I can see why it happened, but it doesn't really justify their actions. Like, it's not, but from my perspective, um, I, as a CEO, you're just conditioned for the buck to stop with you. So, and that, and the blame and the, the, everything stops with me because also, as a CEO, you end up getting all the credit as well. So, like, I just, I take both in equal measure and, um, I I wondered if, upon hindsight, you regret not being there more through that period. If that's the first thing they cited in this response to Prolific North, it makes me think it was one of the key things, that the reasons no, why they were able to ga- gather... Well, 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 you know, t- to be fair to them, you could say that was part of it, but it doesn't add up. You know, mm. it, it, it was three months planning. Mm. So it, it doesn't even add up. Yeah. It, it, was, it was they started this in uh, start of January. What, um, what, what do you think it is then? Do you think it's bad people? Do you think? Do you think they were? No, they were, I don't. I don't think the. I don't think the bad people. I think they've just made a really bad decision with 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 what they were doing. Um, I don't. I don't think the bad people. I, I just think they've made a rash, really rash decision. I think they've they've got caught up in. We could start up our own business. Okay. Well, 
And I can kind of compare it to like kids in a sweet shop and the, and the sweet shop owner's gone out and you know you shouldn't be putting sweets in your pocket, but you think, right, okay, well, we'll do this, right, well, we'll take a couple of staff because we're recruiting people, so we'll get, you know, some of the staff and, and take them. And then, right, well, we won't take one, we'll take two. No, we won't take two, we'll take three. And, and so, before you know it, you're trying to build up your stepping stone and you've kind of just gone over, but you've kind of lost yourself. Do you think? Do you think... If they had a closer bond to you or the company or to the vision or why they were there, they would have done that. I don't think so. I think I think it's a case of. Do you think the, they were they were engaged with the company? They're engaged with they were they had a relationship a strong relationship with you. Yeah, yeah, you, right? yeah, yeah. I'm a sort of really strong relationship, very strong relationship. But I, I don't think that was the issue. I think it was they've they've had ambition about what they want to do and. It's just overridden everything else. How the, the, the thing I'm trying to understand as well is how they managed to gain that like consensus to do that. Because mm. I, you know, and the, I just every time I ask these questions, I'm thinking about it from my own perspective. I'm like, yeah. how, what would have to have happened for any six people here to get to a point where they come to me one day and they say, Steve, by the way, all six of us are leaving. Mm. We're starting a new business, and I think, okay, I probably the first thing was I, in my head, I'm like. I wouldn't have been here for a couple of months, like a while. I would go to New York and they yeah. see me like, I don't know, on jet skis around, you know, in the yeah, harbour, yeah. flying around and they think, well, we're working here while he's off on jet skis. Mm. Second thing is I'm like, okay, even if I was here, they get really disillusioned about why we're here. They don't really like being here. Mm. Um, the third thing is, okay, one of the points you touched on where you've shared so much and the affinity to the company and what we're doing here is quite weak. So they think, do you know what? We can actually do this ourselves um, and make something better than what we're yeah, able to create here. Yeah, that's it. It's it's because I can imagine I've thought about this a lot. Yeah. It from from what I can see is they've thought we can do this. We've learned mm-hmm. now. We can do this, and we can maybe do it in a different way. Mm-hmm. Um, and what about their what, regard for you, though, as a person? Do they not? What do you th- what do you think their their feelings are to you? Do they do they just not care about your position? Were they remorseful at all? I, messages aside, because they weren't meant for my eyes. I think it was a bit of lad culture bravado, kind of you know, all in the messages, kind of sure, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah so uh, first on first sight of that, you take that, you know, that hurts. Mm. It really hurts. But then you take a step back and go, look, it was a frame of mind. You've got to take a bit of context yeah, yeah. with it. It's the excitement of we're setting this up and we're going to do things different. Yeah, exactly. Stuff, yeah. So I don't, I don't sort of hold that against them in, mm. in any way. Um, so I, I think, I think, I think that kind of that kind of het up, and and I think there was, I think there was respect for me, and. I, and, and I, I would think that they'll probably have moments when they're not around each other, where they think they'll, they'll look at themselves in a the mirror, or they'll have a moment where they think about and think, pretty bad what we did to him there. You know, we, we left, we left him high and dry. That could have been the end of a hoy. That could be been the end of his career. We, we could have done that differently. And what's that the end of your career? Um, no, oh, I'm still oh, here. Oh, oh. So talk to me about that. Talk to me about that transition out of that. Then, so that happens to you. You go through yeah. that. You then you put the, the company to administration to uh, recover the assets. Essentially, yeah, so, so you can keep the brand. So we 
had legal fees going up right. um, really high. We had a really good legal team. We, the reason we defended our position was because there was such an abundance of evidence. And we wanted to try and protect them taking clients or, um, you know, for instance, one of the pieces of evidence that come forward is that they put a credentials pack together for this new brand that they created and they'd used assets from from Ahoy. So they'd used their own pictures and in this credentials pack who we've worked with. It was all the logos that we'd used. It was to a a customer that had inquired to Ahoy. So it looked like they'd scooped um, uh, an inquiry away from Ahoy. So without going into all those details, because it's not really yeah. quite painting the picture, I'm trying to not go into that. Mm-hmm. You, 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 you look at that and think, right, okay, that's I've, how far is this going to go? Yeah, it's gonna I've got, going to. I've got to protect it somewhere. For, for a start, the IP, the intellectual property of what they've created in a high time actually belongs to me so they're using something that belongs belongs to a high so that was something that we did protect and they had to change their brand right um, which which will have been a massive inconvenience for them um, but hey the brand is just creating new, creating new yeah, brand yeah. and off you go so uh, talk to me about that process out of that so, so, so we, uh, we we then went through the evidence that was just tough you know Going through evidence until five o'clock in the morning and pulling stuff together for the for the solicitors and then going to a meeting in Liverpool or whatever is just a massive massive drain. You know, going through through all, such a, a wealth of it and uh, lots of backwards and forwards with, with the solicitors, um, knowing that this is going to be in the High Court in Manchester. We've got a barrister booked and we 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 got to a point where we we had our our. Um, Barrister booked, everything was set, a date was set, and then their solicitor came back and said, "You know, we we um, we don't want to move forward. We need more time." So at that at that junction, we said, "Right, we're, we're going to give you more time, but we want um, uh, uh, like an, an affidavit, so it's like a, a sworn oath of what had happened." So they signed this oath in order for us to give them more time, and they admitted the clients they'd met, you know, files they'd taken. Basically, a lot of the Seven things that they've done, yeah. Sure. So, um, and at that time, we've got clients that are saying, um, you know, we don't want to be involved in this TIF. Mm-hmm. We can't place the work with you. We've not got the confidence. And we worked out, we lost about 160, 170 grand's worth of, of work. So I've got costs going up. Mm-hmm. Um, Revenue's going down. We we had tax repayments that we were, that we were paying mm-hmm. through uh, a voluntary agreement. So I'm, I'm paying off tax every month, which, we, which we've been paying. I've got costs going up. I've got income going down. And I've got, not got crystal ball. I don't know which way this is going to go. So I sat down and spoke to, to um, someone, someone I know was advising me. And he just said, you know, you, you might have to look at um, a possible administration. So you do so, that? You do the yeah, administration? Yeah, so you do the administration. Then the, the story... I got told the story would come out in Plymouth North, and just, just couldn't believe it. Just couldn't believe it. I was just kind of bracing myself for it. The next day, I was then going to um, London because my my daughter um, had a uh, an audition down there, acting audition, and my phone just wouldn't stop going. I was on the on the train to to London. You know, it's like when you try to go on your train to London, you can never get a reception. Yeah, it was just oh, it was just. I remember just sweating. 
profusely, just sweating and trying to not show that I was stressed to to my daughter Mia. And what was the way. response like when when every bit when the agency world found out that that had happened? It was supportive. Um, I'd had a lot of, lot of people get in touch and say, um, "Keep going, don't give up." Um, and there was, I think, there was a, there was a lot of, you know, bad mouthing them to a certain degree. But it was, it was nice to get the messages to say, you know, you'll get through this, keep going, that type of thing. So it was, it was, it was moving really because some of these people, some of these agency owners, I'd never spoke to. Some had, had really good relationships, some had different networking events and things like that. So that was that was really nice to, to kind of to get those to get those messages. Um, so yeah, it was it was it was nice. And then you end up re, you know, re sort of you know bringing Ahoy back to life. You you know restarted it now. You're running again. Yeah. You're serving clients again. Yeah. So we've we we had to uh, rehire uh, managers. Um, get on really well with with those people now. Um, it's really positive. We've. It's a smaller team, so it's a little bit more manageable. Not a big amount to, to feed, yeah, less nice. stress. Um, we have our existing clients, so they they got a couple of clients, uh, and we've got other clients that we're still working with. We've we've won new pitches and new clients, and it's it's positive. We moved into a new office. So um, I'm not trying to say you know everything's sunshine and rainbows, course, but never, yeah. you know it still it still hurts what what happened, and you know I have moments where. You know, I found out one of them was having a, a baby. You know, uh, and I thought well, it would have been nice to, to wish him well. And I kind of, really deep down, hoped that I could probably speak to them at some point in the future. But and would it's you? So just a bit raw at the minute. Would you? Do you think you're gonna get to a point where you can forgive them and um, move on? Because someone once said to me, and I think I've said this in my podcast that. Um, and, it, and it always stayed with me the day that someone said it. They said, forgiveness is letting a prisoner go. And as they run off into the distance, realising that you were the prisoner the whole time. Oh, God. Yeah. What you, what's not healthy is just having that mm. anger. And as, as time moves on, that gets easier. Um, you know, having those moments where you lay in bed thinking... How can those people do that to me? I've had loads of people say, "How did you get out of that room? How did you get out of that room without fighting or, you know, smashing something or whatever?" Um, so, so you, you, I think, I think you're right. I think you've, you've got to forgive, but they might feel, you know, well, what what's there to forgive? We went and set up our own agency and we took a few of your staff. Um, that's fine, but that's, it's not for you know, them, is it? That's the, that's what forgiveness is. Yeah, like. I've learned forgiveness is all about. It's for you. It's for you. Yeah, yeah. and you you know it's for your daughter and it's for your family. It's for your sanity and your mind. And you just got to you know people do you wrong. That's guaranteed. Yeah, your reaction to those situations isn't. And you can that's the thing you have power over now. Yeah, is, yeah. You, know, you can't change the past, but you can certainly um, make your future much more pleasant by mm. just letting it go. And yeah, and and I think you'll find total peace in that. Yeah, you know, the, the peace that you haven't got. You know, the only reason you wouldn't have peace now is because you're still holding it a little bit or there's resentment or you and, and that's also like rising above them you know that's like yeah. that's a classy thing to do in my mind yeah. I think uh, I've tried to and it's not it's, you're it's only human done. you're of only course, human yeah. you, I know uh, you know yeah. the, 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 the to let it go will be a lot easier and I'll be able to move on mm. and I've tried to do that and I think I have done that mm. um, it's 
it's better, you know, we've said in the agency, we just, we just not talk, we don't talk about mm-hmm. it, you know, a, a sort of, you know, try not to look at what they're doing on social media. And again, just being totally honest, you do keep an eye on like what they're X, doing. It's, it's, yeah, it's like an X, it's like flicking. You can come a creep. Oh, you've got that job, whatever. It's, you know, but, but I think for me, the, the, what happened with the terrorist attack thing, it really helped bring home just... Perspective. Perspective. Yeah. Talk to me about massively. Talk to me about the terrorist attack. Then what was what's what happened there? Um, yeah, this is a bit more difficult to talk about. Uh, so, yeah, I got I got news of what happened in Prolific North. The story breaking, and then I had seen their response, which was I was really gutted about. I decided to not do not do a response and call them out on a few things. I just thought I'd just leave it. Um, got into. London, uh, we went and had a, um, a night out and then on the Saturday we went to Mia's audition and then in the evening we were just looking for a pub because uh, the Champions League final was on and uh, I'd said, oh, this, this, this pub, uh, there's a bit of a beer garden at the back, sort of, it's quite closed, you know, kids can kind of sort of, you know, mill about there if they don't want to sit up and stairs and watch the football, we'll go and watch the footy, footy finished. And um, we were just about to leave and they'd made a mistake with our nachos. Nachos saved our life. Um, and so they said, well, I'll get you another round of drinks just as an apology. I was like, no, no, don't be daft. It's fine. Oh, these things happen. No, no, please let me get you another round of drinks. Yeah, okay, no worries. Get us another round of drinks. We had another round of drinks. And then I stood up to put my jacket on. And uh, I, we were on the first floor and I looked out into the beer garden. There was a, a, a lady lay on the floor with with about six people around her just trying to sort of resuscitate and I think oh she must have choked or had a heart attack something like that uh, it turns out that was the Australian lady that had, had her throat slit and died and then again unbeknown there was a, a lady that had been stabbed in the neck downstairs in the pub we went downstairs and onto um, uh, underneath uh, the, the, the bridge where the attack happened and it was just chaos there was people screaming shouting the bouncer was come behind he's like you know, you're either in or you're out. Get out of here. It was like, didn't know what to do. Um, the family that was with, there was um, uh, uh, Gordon, Leslie and their two daughters. They went up onto the bridge and we turned left towards Borough Market. And um, Gordon phoned me and said, there's just carnage on the bridge. It's, there's people dead, there's people screaming, there's blood everywhere. Um, you need to, There's a terrorist attack going on, you need to get home. So... I was saying, right, well, what are you going to do? You're going to carry on across the bridge. You're going to come back. He says, no, I'll, I'll get to the hotel. So I said, right, well, you, you just get to safety. We'll get to safety and I'll phone you, phone you when we're there. So we carried on um, sort of past where we, so the, the, just to let you know, the pub we were in, the terrorist attack happened. They crashed into the um, Barrow and Banker Boy, whatever it was. We were in the pub behind it um, and they'd, the, the cathedral, the terrorists had, had, had run around the back of the cathedral and towards Borough Market, and unbeknownst to us, we were walking or running behind them. And we got into sort of the, the main bit where the, the main market is, and we could see a lot going on. So we were trying to sort of see if we could get in anywhere, just to get off the street. Just You had that kind of sense of, doesn't feel safe, just you know, it's sort of, is it, you know how many people are there how many people on the street we didn't know couldn't get in any of the doors Every, just nobody would let you in any of the restaurants because everyone was scared and locked inside and maybe it's because I've got a beard <laughs> 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 look like a terrorist attacker so we we um, 
to cut the story short, we, we got into this side entrance, got into the restaurant, stayed there, um, and just sat there. And there was just this fear of, do we stay here? Or are we sitting ducks? Could, could a gun be shot through the window? Or could an explosion happen? And then, as, as, as sorry, so before we went to the restaurant, it was the police had turned up and there's three policemen got out with uh, machine guns, rifles, or whatever, automatic weapons. And then I knew it was like bad. And then we, we, we hid in the restaurant and he's just there checking your phone. I've never seen my daughter or wife so scared. It was just, I can vividly remember it now, just sort of thinking back. And everyone was really scared, sat, sat in the, the restaurant. He didn't know what to do. And I remember thinking, well, there's a knife there in the kitchen. I could protect myself with that. There were situations where people were opening the side door and then some people were saying, shut it. And then someone had locked it, but there's no key. So if they come in the front, are we going to get out of the back? Just a mishmash of like, what's going to, like this, this decision now could be us alive or dead. You know, you're thinking, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? And it was just horrendous. There was, there was a lady there that um, couldn't stand. She just, I don't know if it was stress or what, but she was just like leant against the wall, got her something to sit on. And everyone was just, just really scared, huddled. At the, and there was just shots outside, police running past. And then eventually the the police came in and they're screaming, shouting, you know, hands on heads and everything. And that's a sort of a tactic that they, that they use. And then we went out again at the back, around the back of the cathedral, and we couldn't go uh, right towards our hotel. We found out our hotel was, was being used as a makeshift hospital. And then we had to go left over uh, the bridge. And again, seeing everything that had happened, um, was worried about what my daughter would, would see. And just just scared. And then we got got to the other side of the bridge and we'd seen everything that happened. And then it was just this fear of being, we're on the street still. And, and that whole incident, how what impact has... What lasting impact has that had on you? Because I know Dom, co-founder of Social Chain, he um, he was in Paris on the first night when the the attacks happened in the outside the football stadium, yeah. and then in all the coffee shops. So he he again was stranded out on the streets, and he kind of he's it's changed him in many ways. I think he's also got a fear of certain situations. Yeah. To, to a degree. So my son didn't go to London because of what had happened in the Manchester attack. And he was also scared because we'd been to Old Trafford and when the fake bomb scare happened and that was like, we nearly got crushed and it was, that was, that was bad. So he's, in his mind, he just didn't want to go. And we were like, oh, I'll be fine, I'll be absolutely fine. Um, and there's just certain situations where like the, the, the market's opened in Manchester. The thing I think straight away is, you know, what if there's an attack there? Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just on your mind. It's just always on your mind. You just see, see situations differently, and um, there might be something that flags up. You might see a certain certain type of top that someone was wearing that you remember when they were there, um, or a certain noise, or it just it's it's always it's always there at the back, the back of your mind. The toughest thing is deal, dealing with the serendipity of it. It freaks you out. You know, what if what if he'd not forgot those nachos? Like, how would I have dealt with being on the street with three men with knives wrapped around the, you know, what could he have done? Could he have 
would have just took took the blows and, and got my wife and daughter to run away. You know, Gordon um, was was had a, got really upset at one point because he was thinking if I had to jump off the bridge again, if the natural, the, the, he would have been on the bridge as the as the van was coming down the bridge, and if I had to jump over into the water, could he have tread water with? He was he was swimming in the pool and it just he just got really upset. Just this cycle of thought had gone through his head. What if? And he just couldn't get out of the loop. You know, which would he have saved his wife or which daughter or how would yeah, he have been able to do, yeah. do that? It just really freaks you out. And, I, yeah, it was one of those experiences I imagine you can only really appreciate if you were there as well and you go through it. But, yeah. So, to conclude then... It's, it's hard to... To be honest, Steve, it's, it's easy to tell you the facts of what happened... It's a it's, that one is a bit more difficult to kind of tell you how it felt. Yeah, and for anyone to resonate with how it felt, I imagine. Yeah, um, you don't you don't mean getting upset on your podcast. No, <laughs> no, it's okay. It's not really. Yeah. <laughs> um, so to conclude, then, what would you say to? I've got two questions. What would you say to eighteen-year-old Mark? What advice would you give him? Looking back on the things that have happened to you, you've got this incident where you know immense betrayal and you're stabbed in the back and the stresses of running a business and all these wonderful things which you only learn from doing. Then you've got this incident in London which puts things into perspective. What would you say to 19, 18-year-old Mark to prepare him for the life that was ahead of him? Listen to the people around you that are saying... You, you give you're saying too much. Be a little bit more guarded about the 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 information. I think the I would I would say to him, be genuous and be genuine. You know, don't be scared of of, of giving. Be 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 open and honest. But not not your detriment. I think it's difficult because it's hard to, to to look at what decisions I could have made. These 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 little details what I could have made made differently. But I wouldn't change how I've been with those staff members and with my existing staff members. I I think I would say continue to be that way. But when you when things are going well, when you fly in, be prepared that. Things can come from all different angles, and you you've just got to deal with it. You just got to deal with it. And had you known at the very start, before you started Ahoy, that that was going to happen, would you have started it? I think so. I think so. I think, if I told you it was going to happen again, yeah, would you would you carry on? This is the danger that it could. I think it's still at the back. You know, it's always at the back of your mind. I think, yeah, I would. Absolutely. I absolutely love what I do. I love design. I love photography. Running an agency and being in control of what you what you do and the clients you have and the staff you bring on and um, you know bringing people together and, and all that kind of thing. It's it is the best feeling in the world. But you will continually have the stress that can be alleviated with things like investment and things like that to a certain degree but you've still got that you've still got that stress and so what's the what's the what's the big dream then for you what's the 
the the end goal for Mark? I think long, long term, I'd like to love France. I'd like to retire in France at some point. Um, I'd like to go into teaching at some point, um, whether that's mentoring or or whether it's more one on one and at a lower level. So um, you know, maybe teaching within design. With the agency, our dream is that we want to be known for as a brand and agency for working with working with challenger brands. So taking brands that are you know unheard of or are certain pegged down and just allowing them to punch way above the weight. That's still the key for us. We want to be known for. I kind of like that feeling when you know you look at the site and go. Oh, I know a few of those brands. Oh, that, that makes sense. Them. All those little brands that I like, all those different things that I like, it's all from this one particular agency. Um, and just, just for that, I just want to make sure we've got respect, respect from the clients that we do the work with, that it's, it's commercial, commercial, it works for them, it, it makes a big impact on their, their business. And also having kudos and respect from peers. So the other agencies look at us and go, do you know what? Wow, they're they're doing really really good stuff. And what, on a personal level, what is your what is your happiness? And are you happy now? Is yeah. Well, it's funny I was saying this to someone the other day. I'm working a lot harder. I'm, I'm working um, longer hours and doing more things. And like like you what you say as well, sort of managing my time. I'm having to sort of really be decisive about the things I do and don't do. Um, but I do feel a lot happier at the moment. I don't know what it is. I think maybe I'm a little bit closer. Maybe because it's a little bit smaller. Mm-hmm. I feel like I've got my agency back. That's what it feels like. I feel like I've got my agency back. Some of the kind of laddie culture, which was there, um, has gone. Okay. Which is which is quite nice. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like a bit of a clean slate. Sure. Um, bit more, bit more measured. I feel I've got the agency back. It feels a bit more smaller and manageable. Um, it's been great to see some of the other members of the team that um, were more junior when they started to, to have a, a better bond with them and um, see them and give them the, the ability to have a bit more impact on the business. That's been mm-hmm. absolutely amazing. Seeing them move into a new office, which, you know, that's, in all honesty, maybe that's something I should have done earlier. Maybe, you know, the, the team talks about moving to Manchester and, and that's what they did when they, they set up their, 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 their other agency. Maybe that's something I should, you know, that's something I could kick myself for. Maybe I should have done that sooner. So, so getting our team into Manchester and seeing how happy they've been, that's been really, really rewarding. Um, Amazing. So that's a very long interview and, uh, you know, it's been a, been a, a, a long journey, but I think it's, it's given a very honest account of a situation that's happened and, um, I, I thank you for being so open and honest. Um, I'm very excited for, to be able to share this with people. And for, you know, from my perspective and from what I've heard from the grapevine as being an agency owner in Manchester, um, one of the things I've always heard people say is how good the work it is you do. And, you know, people will talk about your story because there's, you know, that people will gossip and they'll say good things and mm. bad things or there'll be, you know, speculation. But something that's never come under speculation is how good your work is. And it's, it's always been held in such a high account, almost to, from the conversations I've had. And I'm not involved in design, but as the standard. So that's, you know, that's something that, irrespective of betrayal or you know, 
bad times no one can really take from you and that's yeah. the foundation of you being able to then in my opinion go on and build something great again because mm. it no matter how you look at it it kind of started with you and so mm. and no one can take that so i want to thank you for coming on um how's it how's it been i'm worried i've been too honest but uh, i think that's I the whole that. that's the whole that's the whole yeah. point of it um yeah i just i just can't thank you enough i think i think you know i appreciate your position and and how busy you are and what you're doing and you know you're all over the world not just all over manchester um it's been really good actually i think do you know what I, do you know what i'm really happy about that? that you've challenged me on it yeah you've actually read out that response in cliffing off which you didn't tell me about no. you bugger <laughs> uh, <laughs> but but I'm, yeah. I'm i'm glad you've i'm glad you've you've done that because it, it gives them mm-hmm. a fair just kind of uh, bite at it as well. It's kind of kind of gives them. A, 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 it feels all right. They're not in the room to be able to mm. talk about it, but it, give, it gives it, it kind of. You try to see it from their from their side mm. as well, mm. which I think is important. Mm. Really do. So yeah, just just to, just to add, yeah, can't thank you enough. Um, really good. So it'd be a bit weird listening to me <laughs> sort of on the podcast when I'm driving in me van now. But um, yeah, it's. Uh, it's great, and I'm really looking forward to the other the other po- podcasts. I know you've been saying you're going to yeah. do about Jim Shark and all that kind of yeah, thing. Yeah. So, yeah, I can't, I can't can't wait. And thanks for you are always one decision away from taking your business to the next level. And a decision that's helped me to transform my business is moving over to NetSuite, who I'm excited to say are a sponsor of this podcast. If you don't know already, NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform and one source of truth. It's reduced IT costs because it lives in the cloud so you can access it from anywhere and the cost of managing and running multiple systems because it's in one unified business management suite. My team and I don't have to worry about tasks being manual and clunky and it means that I can be more efficient and to focus on more important things like bringing you the best episodes and guests on this show. So I become one of the 37,000 companies that have already made the move over to NetSuite. NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. So head to netsuite.com slash Bartlett for a free product tour. Back to the episode. I'm the first one. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for coming on, Mark, and I really, really appreciate it. You're Thank welcome. you. Cheers. Thanks. You are always one decision away from taking your business to the next level. And a decision that's helped me to transform my business is moving over to NetSuite, who I'm excited to say are a sponsor of this podcast. If you don't know already, NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform and one source of truth. It's reduced IT costs because it lives in the cloud so you can access it from anywhere and the cost of managing and running multiple systems because it's in one unified business management suite. My team and I don't have to worry about tasks being manual and clunky and it means that I can be more efficient and to focus on more important things like bringing you the best episodes and guests on this show. So I become one of the 37,000 companies that have already made the move over to NetSuite. NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks, so head to netsuite.com slash Bartlett for a free product tour. Back to the episode.